Well, that was pretty tepid, but it's all right. We'll move on. It's good to see everybody this morning. I know we got a lot of visitors with us, a lot of folks with us this morning we don't see too often, so it's good to see all you guys. We're glad you're here with us. Uh, I want to take a moment just to reiterate what was mentioned this morning during the announcements, uh, that we have the, the youth service, the young men's service tonight. So if you uh, want to participate in any way, just uh, see me or Van, and we'll get you sorted into the lineup. This morning, we are continuing our study of the Holy Spirit. Um, we've talked about ministering with the Holy Spirit. We've talked about blasphemy with the Holy Spirit. Uh, we've talked about what it means in the context of spiritual gifts on one of our Sunday night uh, evening services on a couple of those. And we largely, in some of those classes, we talked about really what the manifestation of the Spirit is not. And so this morning, I wanted to take a special look at several examples of the movement and the power of the Holy Spirit and what that looks like in the early church, mainly, mainly focusing from the book of Acts. Throughout the book of Acts, there are references to the, the promise, to the, the gift, the outpouring, the baptism or immersion in the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Bible, in Acts specifically, often uh, speaks of its, of its power, of its filling in the disciples, of the testimony and the witness it is to, to the nations and the guiding influence the Spirit provides in the church. And so it is impossible to tell the story of the early church and the progression of the gospel message without the work of the Spirit. It was the Spirit that made it possible for the disciples to, to perform their ministry, for Peter and Paul to have the protection necessary so that they might reach uh, the gospel to some of those that have not been reached and, and not be wiped out. The, the Spirit provides miraculous confirmations of the word of the Lord. And so we're going to talk about the Spirit's influence on the early church so that we can hopefully understand what it meant in the context and then bring it to us and say, well, how does this impact our lives today? And so our theme for this morning will really be the Holy Spirit in action. If we say we shouldn't blaspheme the Spirit, we, we don't reject the, the, the God calling through His Spirit, but we don't perform the miracles, we don't heal the blind, we, we, it leaves us in this middle ground. So what does it do? What does this gift, as Peter calls it, look like? Well, I want us to think about kind of how we think of God in general. Some people think of God as, as the great instigator, as the originator, as the, the, the one who kind of flips the on switch of the universe. That, that he puts the, the ball up the hill and just kind of lets it roll down. Christians, I think we often think of God as a little more active, as involved in things, as working alongside us, as working through our lives. This is what we would often call providence, sometimes divine intervention, usually jokingly. When the early church, the spirit is both of these things. The, the, the Spirit is both the, the instigator and the one who sustains the, the, the church throughout as it goes on. Uh, the, the great American preacher John Stott said he is both the wind and the water. He is the ship and the sea. He is the road and the horse. In the words of Chris Cornell, he is not the rolling wheels. He is the highway. In the book of Acts, in the early church, the Spirit is both the instigator, the agent of movement, the provider of energy, the sustainer of action. So it kicks things off, but it also it carries them out to its fulfillment. We talk about kicking things off, we of course think of Pentecost, the very beginning of the Church of Acts, that, that focused passage from a couple weeks ago. But I want us to think about what happens after that. A fire left unattended or calm will burn out. Embers will fade. A ship out of water does not move, and a vehicle can only go so far without a highway. So, so on a doctrinal level, we need to understand that the Spirit is, is God's control, God's authority, God's presence in the world today. 
To say that the Spirit at work is to say that God is at work. God works in us through His Spirit. John 15, 26 says, The Spirit of truth proceeds from the Father, and the Spirit will testify about Him. And so the Holy Spirit is the, the power of God on earth. It's by the Spirit that Jesus performed many miracles, that He had prophetic insight into people like the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4. It's through the Spirit that Jesus experienced resurrection from the dead. It is by the Spirit that Jesus works His divine nature upon the earth, and it's that same Spirit that fills the disciples and rests upon those who follow Him. We're not really going to look at one particular passage in Acts this morning, but I, I want to reference a lot of things kind of in passing, because if you ever do a deep study of, deck, of Acts, I encourage you to get a highlighter, get a pen, get a colored pencil, and just underline every time you see the words, the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. You'll be shocked at the influence it had in the early church. The first two chapters... Of course, the promise of the Holy Spirit, the coming of the Spirit and power, and it, it immerses His followers as we, as we read in Acts 2. But not only are they covered on the outside, but they're actually filled. The text speaks often and frequently of the disciples being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now Jesus, when Jesus was on earth, He Himself sent out disciples. In, Matthew, or in Luke 10, Matthew 20, both of those passages, he, he sent them out two by two. He sent out the 72 that they might tell others of his ministry. But at Pentecost, something very different happens. At Pentecost, they, they're imbued with power. They're imbued with the ability to do miraculous works, to embolden their preaching, as we'll talk about later. They were filled with the Spirit who carried with them the authority of the risen Christ. We read Jesus' promise from Acts chapter 1 a couple weeks ago, but he, he also said in Matthew 10, 20, Do not be anxious of how you are going to speak or what you will say. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of the Father speaking through you. Jesus promised the Spirit would be at work within them. And so continually, continually throughout the book of Acts, in fulfillment of that promise, we see the Spirit dwelling, or the text says filling, Peter, Paul, Stephen, Philip. It spoke through them often for the, for the gospel to be spread. Their ministry and their evangelism was truly empowered by God's Spirit. The text through these, these passages show the disciples being filled. It impacted in every way. It gave them the ability to preach as Jesus spoke about, but it also gave them the confidence, the, the boldness as we see in this example of Stephen in Acts chapter 7 and 6. Stephen knew his words would anger those he was speaking to. He knew the reaction was going to get, but it was, it was the comforter, as Jesus speaks of, who filled him, who came to him and emboldened him to preach in spite of these fears. He was prepared to carry out the work and the will of God in his life, even unto death. And it's that application that I want us to see from this idea of being filled with the Spirit. That it is God who gives us the, the confidence, the boldness, the power to carry out His work. When we see the disciples are filled with the Spirit, we see that the, the, the Spirit inspired them. It illuminated Scripture in the hearers of, of their audience. But it also came with consistent demonstrations of power. Throughout the book, the, the Spirit is, is sending people to specific places. The Word is being preached. Mani miracles are, are manifesting themselves and confirming this Word. And I say this because when, whenever the disciples went, they were powered by the Spirit, but the signs confirmed what they were preaching. 
So the Spirit gave him the energy or the, the empowerment, the boldness to preach, but then it came alongside their preaching and proved their preaching. It was evidence of their preaching, that their preaching was the Word of God. And we see this not just with the twelve, with the twelve disciples, but we see it even on Philip, the one called the evangelist, following in this pattern of being guided by the Holy Spirit. In Samaria, in Macedonia, in Asia, in all the places where the kingdom expanded, the Spirit moved through its presence, through healings, through the other miracles. In one particular passage in Acts 13.9, Paul gains the attention of a Rome official by blinding him. To, to, he, he blinds him actually so that he can see the power of God, ironically. Peter performs works through, through the resurrection of Tabitha when he asks her to rise, and it, and it demonstrates that his word was truly God's word. In each instance, the Spirit is affirming their claim and their teaching that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God. And I want us to recognize this because in Acts we see the Trinity fully proclaimed, fully involved in the building of God's kingdom. One commentator said, referring to the construction of, common, of God's kingdom, that the Father is, is the chief executive officer, the architect is the Son, the contractor is the Holy Spirit. Paul confirms this unity of the Spirit and the moving of the Spirit's words through, through inspiration and power. In 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and 5, when he said, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Peter, Peter would later write that we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation... For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men of God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. When the apostles spoke, when they worked in the kingdom of God, the, the Spirit confirmed their message. And the same thing is true for us today. Paul says he doesn't speak, but he might manipulate them with persuasive words. He doesn't speak with, with human wisdom, but he speaks with the, the proof, we might say, or the evidence of the Spirit. When we teach in the church today, when we preach in the church today, I, I, don't, I don't come up here and just say the things that I've thought about for the week and my own ideas on how we should behave and my own ideas of what the church should look like. I, I don't speak from my own human wisdom, as Paul calls it, but I speak with the evidence, with the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. Because Peter tells us that the, the same Spirit that was at work with the disciples, that empowered their preaching and performed their miracles, actually inspired the word that we have and call the Bible today. And so even though the Spirit is not at work alongside us in a miraculous sense, in terms of an active healing or an active uh, striking people blind or with vision, the Spirit does confirm our word the same way it did in the Holy Church. We have the prophetic word more confirmed. When Peter speaks of inspiration, he actually speaks of himself. Peter, one of the many inspired writers of the New Testament. The Spirit empowered them in their public speaking, in their preaching, in their evangelism, but later in their life, in their writing, in the inspiration of the Word of God. We cannot work in the kingdom if our working is not based in or evidenced by the power of the Spirit. We cannot work without it being based in God's Word, in His inspired Word. 
The Spirit not only filled the disciples with this power and this boldness to preach, but it also directs them. It guides them continually throughout the text. As I made mention earlier, several times the Spirit is, is moving for them on where they ought to go, where they ought to preach. At the very beginning of the book, the, the twelve disciples received the word of Jesus that when the Holy Spirit would come on them, that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But when you study Acts, they never got a timeline. They never got an agenda. God never mailed out a memo and said, hey, this is where I want everybody to be on these times and these places, and you show up here and say this. But the responsibility actually fell on the Spirit to guide them to the, the right town, the right time, to speak to the right person. This is the kind of thing that I think when we think about our own lives, we often call, well, really, I think the world calls coincidences that we often call providence. That we don't think, I don't, I don't feel like God necessarily told me at 8 o'clock on Thursday, you need to go to Brigham's Hardware. And when you go to the second aisle, you'll encounter a man. And that man has a need. And when you talk to that man about his need, he will be thankful that you did. I mean, I don't know about you. It's never happened to me. Sometimes I wish it did. Not going to lie. But what I do believe is that when I am seeking God, when I'm appealing to God, when I'm in frequent communication with God through his word or in prayer, that he's at work in my life. I think sometimes in the church we... We hesitate to use this kind of language because we don't want to be charismatic or we don't want to be seen as overly spiritual. But we should be comfortable calling it what it is, the work of the Spirit. Philip, in Acts chapter 8, was divinely led into the wilderness to go along a road where he found an official, an official who was reading God's Word. As a result of the Spirit taking Philip to this man, this man believed and was baptized before Philip was then carried away. How? By the Spirit. Peter, when he was sent for by Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, he's sent by in a vision by the Spirit. He's led by the Spirit to Cornelius' house, where we see the incredibly important conversion of his entire household, the first time the gospel is preached to the Gentiles. When the gospel is preached, the Spirit is there. We see that over and over in the Bible. Paul frequently cites the Spirit as as leading him to and from different cities, as taking him to this region or to this particular region. And I want you to think about that, that, that we, we hear and we read that Paul was a tent maker by trade, which unlike when we call somebody a tent making preacher, no, 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 Paul actually made tents. He made heavy fabric, heavy curtains, probably used in stage productions. Maybe there was a lot of camping going on then, I'm not really sure. But Paul didn't say, you know, I wonder where the best tent making customers are. Or where's the best tent-making trainer that I can become a really good uh, tent-making journeyman one day? He didn't look for the best housing market. Paul was single his whole life. I don't think he looked for where the best other market was. Wasn't looking for a wife or a school to put his kids in. When Paul got down on his knees and talked to his boss, he said, I go where you send me. Wherever you want me, that's where I'll be. There's even one time we see he's forbidden from going somewhere. He's actually actively prevented in going somewhere because Paul said the Spirit kept him from preaching. Acts 16.6 Luke doesn't always give us the nature of these conversations when he writes this. Whether it was a vision or dreams as we sometimes see or whether it was just by prophecy. Sometimes he just writes he was taken there. He was led in this way. But what's important is that God is actively involved in their intentions, in their goals, in their decision-making, in their career planning. I want you to think for a moment. 
just in our in our world today, how many people do you know who are filled with anxiety or worry about, am I in the right career? I mean, I think back to the time when I was kind of in late high school and you start thinking about, you have this overwhelming pressure, you feel like, to decide what I'm going to do for the rest of my life, which is, you know, you're really qualified to do at 16, right? And so you feel like, well, I've got to make this decision. I've got to do this the right way. And if I don't do this and I can't do this, and I've got to... And I think sometimes that carries over. I mean, I'm 26, 36, 46. You know, am, I, am I in the right place in my life? Am I, well, am I where my family wants to be? Am I where like, my kids can be with this and that? Am I gonna, maybe the housing's better over there. The job market's better over there. Do I need a chick's jobs? Am I in the wrong field? I mean, this is the kind of stuff that plagues people. That makes them lose sleep at night. The best thing you can do as a Christian for your family planning, for your career planning, when you're deciding to move somewhere or stay somewhere, if we're following the example of the Spirit in the book of Acts, is to get God in your goals. I think of how many different career planning classes I went to when I was kind of in early college, or how many times I sat with my guidance counselor when I was in high school, and they said, well, what do you like? What are you good at? What are you not good at? Is there something that you just think you... And we, we tell everyone, well, what do you want to do? What do you think is best for you? And in hindsight, I just want to grab myself and say, I'm 16, I don't know what I'm good at. Well, I tried like three things, and I was pretty terrible at two of them, so I guess I'll do this third thing. But I think we ought to be comfortable encouraging our kids or our families, our spouses, and saying, what do you think it is that God wants you to do? Jeremiah talks about how God made him, and he knew every hair on his head when he was in the womb. God made us. Do we ever ask him how he wants us to be used? In the Bible, we see that Paul wanted to go to Asia, in fact, it kind of seems like if you look at the entire picture of Paul in the New Testament, that was really like his ultimate, what he would have said was his life goal. I mean, I, I got to take the gospel to this particular region of the Roman Empire right over here. And of course, we know God wants the gospel to be preached. But God stops him from going. He says explicitly, the Spirit prevented us from going into Asia in Acts 16. God had an order in the way he wanted things to play out. I think... I think often of the Garth Brooks song that sometimes God's greatest gift is unanswered prayers. And I think there's some truth to that. But I think sometimes, uh, no, God says no. <laughs> and I think we're almost uncomfortable talking about that. Thing. Yeah, and Paul said, no, 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 I wanted to do this. I wanted to, and it was preaching the gospel. And he said, God, don't you want me to do this? Like, this is a good thing. God said it wasn't his time. God had plans for Paul. I think sometimes when we think about these big life questions, there are so many people who are just spinning a roulette wheel. Well, should I go to this city or that city? Should I, should I take this job or should I take this job? Should I move over here or go over here? Should we buy this house? Are these schools better? Are our kids going to like it if we put them over here or we put them over here? And so often we get so distracted and, and really put under the pressure to make these right decisions for our family, for our finances, for our retirement, and all of those things that we never stop to say, what about the creator who made me in the womb? Where does he want me to be? What does he want for my life? And the example of Paul is that constant communication with God through the leading of the Spirit. And this is the kind of language that I said we should be comfortable talking about it in. That in spite of persecution, in spite of opposition, in spite of fear, in spite of all these limitations and, and forces at work with him, the church grew. 
It, it expanded. It, it had success spreading the gospel. Why? Because those involved in it were not concerned for themselves or their own desires or goals in life, but they were all committed to saying, what is it that God wants for me? What does God want for my life? You know, there was, uh, I was talking to somebody just earlier this week. March Madness is going on. I don't know if you're a sports fan. You might have picked up on that, might have followed that. But I was talking to somebody and they said, man, high school ball and AAU and highlight culture is killing, killing high school and even college basketball. They said, you've got a bunch of kids who this, they just want to see themselves succeed. They just want to get their own career somewhere. They want to just get a really good highlight on TikTok so they can be famous for five seconds. And so they're just chucking up the ball whenever they get it. They're not passing. They're not playing team defense. They're not doing all the things it takes us to succeed. Why? Every single one of us who played in sports at any level probably saw that poster on the locker room wall that said, there's no I in team. That said, for as long as I'm trying to seek for myself first, we're never going to get anywhere. At least not very far, very fast. If we're on a team, I hope we're all listening to the same coach. I hope we're all working on the same game plan. This is the example of the Spirit in the early church. When you study the growth and the spread of the gospel in the Bible, it is so clear that without the Spirit, there, there really is no body of Christ. You've just got a bunch of disciples who are just trying to figure their own lives out. But instead, because they commit themselves to the same team, they're filled with the spirit that Jesus promises and the Father sends. They are powered and guided along by the same spirit. All throughout the book, there's these, these outward activities of speaking, the working of miracles, the guidance and direction that we've been talking about. But something that we've kind of been hinting at all along the way is this very significant point that the way the Spirit moves in the Bible. We studied Pentecost a few weeks ago. We ended with the message from Peter. When Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, Peter said, in very plain words, If you have repented... If you have been baptized, you receive the Holy Spirit. Where the gospel is present, the Spirit is present. When the gospel is preached, the Spirit is present. When the gospel takes effect in somebody's lives and makes them obedient to Christ and adds them to the church through baptism, as we've studied many, many times, the Holy Spirit is present in that. And so to talk about any of these things without acknowledging the work of the Spirit is really not understanding the Bible. When Jesus spoke in the garden... He spoke of the Holy Spirit as the, the confirming sign of his presence. In John 16, he spoke of the Holy Spirit as the comforter, the one who would guide them into all truth. He said the Spirit would testify concerning him. What do we call a testimony concerning Jesus? Do you know what the, the Gospels are literally called in the Greek language? The account according to Mark. The account according to Luke. The account according to John. Jesus told them that the Spirit will testify concerning me. Where the gospel is preached, the Spirit is present. The presence of the Spirit in, in a Christian, in these disciples, in these new, these new people, contributed greatly to the expanding kingdom of God. Just as Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, we are no longer of the flesh if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in us. 
the abiding presence of the Spirit, it was in the disciples preaching the gospel. It was in those, those audience members who heard it and reacted to it, who were convicted, who, who became Christians, who were led to Christ, who were obedient to the gospel. But it was continuing to work in their lives after that point. In fact, that passage from Romans 8 9 that I referenced, it says that, that the Spirit continues to work in us after baptism, keeping us from fleshly things. It helps us resist temptation. It guides us away from the things we ought not to be doing. So beyond just the compelling words and the miraculous signs that the, the believers in the faith, the members of the church, they were rooted and grounded in this abiding presence. And that abiding presence after baptism is so much more powerful than any miraculous work, than any single person being healed, than any lame man being able to walk is the ability to say that if you have been repented and baptized into Christ, you have that Spirit in you. And that's much greater than any miraculous work. For even Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, seek the higher gifts. This movement of the Spirit was not a one-generation event. Even today, we should feel comfortable recognizing that yes, the Spirit of God... The, the supernatural power by definition, the spirit that comes from God is in our lives and in our ministries. And that we allow him to work in us to the greatest extent possible so that he can be glorified. Because that's our purpose. That's ultimately our goal. It is to communicate the message of God through his spirit, through his word, so that people might be obedient to him. So that the kingdom of God might be expanded. So that the glory of God might be revealed. It really just goes back to that simple promise that Jesus made to his disciples in Acts 1. That you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, guess what, guys? In that context, we're at the ends of the earth. That's us. He said, through my spirit, you will be my witnesses. We will testify concerning him. But now, as Peter says, since we have the prophetic word, we're fully confirmed. I don't, I don't have to sit down and write the account of Jesus according to Terence or the account of Jesus according to Van. We have the prophetic word, and it should move us. It should lead us. It should guide us. Understanding all, these, all of these texts, all these many, many examples, we see the role of the Spirit in the, both the birth of the church, that originator, that instigator, but also in the expansion and ultimately the fulfillment of the church. The Spirit provided inspiration, illumination, recollection, revelation, so that believers could preach the gospel. They could argue from scriptures that Jesus was the Son of God, so they could testify concerning Him. The Spirit confirmed these words through healings, miracles, and prophetic insights. But perhaps most importantly, it was the confirmation that someone was a believer in Christ. It was a living blueprint for how, how you got added to the church, how you became a part of the kingdom of God, how the kingdom of God was to expand. As Peter puts it very simply in Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you are with us this morning and you have never truly studied God's Word, if you've never truly become a student or a disciple of Christ, if you've never learned what it means to join into a salvific relationship,